Snap, welcome back and happy new year, everyone, to 12 Pack Radio, the most interesting podcast in the world covering Pac 12 football news. This is Brian Conger, the host of Wildcat Radio, and there are four bowls still going on. If you are listening to this today or tomorrow, this is going to drop on New Year's Eve. We are excited to celebrate the 2019 extravaganza coming to you uh, via this podcast, and I uh, hope you have a wonderful new year. Hope your holidays were excellent, but in order to break down the games that happened, more 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 focus on the Cheese It Bowl. I'm not going to lie; we're going to focus more on the Cheese It Bowl. <laughs> uh, it's Mr. Rob Bowen to talk about it. What's, what's going on, Rob? Uh, I'm excited. This is the uh, the last. I mean, this will be the last podcast of uh, 2018. Uh, it's it's been a good run actually for the first year of the podcast. I'm uh, I'm, I'm enthusiastic about what 2019 has to bear. Well, yeah, that in the Christmas slash New Year's news fairy dropped a big bag of Larry Scott on us to end out the year. So very excited <laughs> to talk about that. Don't yeah. we, we will not forget to talk about that as we move along. We are going to break down the first two bowls that have happened. Uh, uh, t- the two most recent bowls that have happened. We're going to preview the four bowls that are coming up in the next coming days, and then we will talk about the Larry Scott uh, show. Uh, and Rob, let's just talk about the Cheez It Bowl. I'm going to open by saying this: I was surprised that so many people were complaining about this game. I thought this was one of the most beautiful college football games that I've seen in a very long time. It's packed with unintentional comedy and terrible offenses, and just, like just the fact that. At one point, Gary Patterson pulls his kicker from the field to chew him out. This is a game-winning field goal that they needed to have to avoid going to overtime. He pulls his kicker, yells at him, puts in a replacement, and then changes his mind, puts the kicker that he had just screamed in the face of back on the field and expected him to hit like a 35-yarder, which of course he missed, was basically this entire bowl game in a nutshell. It was wonderful. What did you think? I mean... I I tend to fall into the I mean it was wonderful on a bunch of like the unintentional comedy scale it was great but it was it was not enjoyable football no <laughs> no not at all I mean there was nothing there was nothing about it where you thought oh that that's really well executed I mean even the defenses I mean the defenses are so clearly better than both offenses on the field um I mean I I, the, the main most amazing thing to me was that Cal managed to put yet another quarterback on the field who wasn't Ross Bowers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Chase Forrest, I had not heard of at all, but apparently everyone around the Cal program just uh, gushes over this kid sticking it out and like finally getting a chance to play, came in and played in the second half uh, and mostly played terribly. Um, <laughs> There's a reason and, he was not. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's like a fourth string walk on and like, Yep. Uh, Ross Bowers is, is like, I good luck in wherever you go next, because clearly, clearly you did something terrible at Cal. Both the quarterbacks were terrible. They combined for 17 of 33 for 164 yards and count them one, two, three, four, five interceptions. Rob, I turned this game on uh, a little bit late. I think it was in the middle of the first quarter. And in the first two minutes of me turning this game on, there were three interceptions and one of them was in the end zone. It was just it was amazing. And I was like, I'm all in on this now. This is this is beautiful. 
I, I mean, and they were bad, bad interceptions. I mean, it's not as if like, oh, that ball was tipped, you know, and it just landed in the, you know, not like that. I can't like the 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 one in the Washington State was it Washington State where he kicked the ball, basically went off the player's groin and ended up as an INT. <laughs> um, none of these were that. These were all just like, oh, like they're in a zone, and I didn't see that dude. Here's the ball. Which is unbelievably bad. And we spent the last podcast that we recorded basically dumping on this game because it was two really good defenses versus two just, I I don't want to say historically, but uh, disgustingly awful offenses. And we kind of assumed that it was going to be bad, and it was. Grayson Muelstein, 7 for 21 of 27 yards and four interceptions. Alicia D'Artola, our friend, had tweeted that Muelstein is what I turn Aaron Rodgers into when I play Madden, which I thought was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unlike, unlike the hard mode. Like, I <laughs> so wh- one of the things, Rob, that I was interested in seeing was whether or not Bo Baldwin would be fired after this game. And that doesn't seem to be the case. Um do the firings usually happen like right after bowl season? I would assume so, but are they waiting until the signing period is over? That, that actually might be the, the I mean, answer. It used to be that they would often wait until after the February signing date. And then a lot of guys would get their walking papers. Um, the new signing period has sort of sped that up. And so you do see guys getting, I mean, not always like guys, if they weren't like a, a some guys are just hired for X's and O's and they're not great recruiters or, you know, the guys that they were, you know, lead recruiter on are likely to sign anyway, cause they might be local guys or something like that. And so those guys would get their walking papers. Um, if guys were, sort of key. I mean, this is what we think, you know, talk about as being fairly underhanded. If you're like a key recruiter on a recruit that hasn't signed yet, you often don't get fired until, you know, officially fired until after signing day. Um, I'm, I mean, maybe, maybe Wilcox just fundamentally believes that this is a personnel problem. Um, and, but I'm, I was, I'm with you. I'm a little surprised. I, I think the offense was so bad this season um that it's 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 worth if it's worth it if you're wilcox to to go back to the drawing board and read because you can if you can you can hire scheme like if you can go out and hire a good offensive play caller and coordinator um like you should you should do it like if if it's not working like this is this is a place where like you should go invest some money and i'm I'm surprised baldwin's offense was so so bad this season yeah it's interesting so i forgot that this bowl was initially the buffalo wild wings bowl and i'm I'm a big fan yeah i know i'm a big fan of cheeses i would much rather have it to be the cheese bowl but they had tweeted something (laughs) out that said uh you know they always have those commercials about oh turn it into overtime and then the bartender uh so they tweeted out cal tcu is headed to overtime we never owed you a bigger apology (laughs) i thought that was great just like it was so frustrating because like i i had picked cal I mean, because you have to pick. Like, even though the game is a pick 'em, I picked Cal to win the game. And I basically just came down to, like, push comes to shove, Cal has better special teams. Like, it, they almost pulled it off just because TCU special teams were so bad. Like, it almost actually worked <laughs> and, <laughs> until it did. <laughs> I forgot you took Cal. I'm 3 0, by the way, in these bowls. So I'm, I'm chugging along, keeping this year going steady, Eddie. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, there's not a ton more to talk about. I just thought it was entertaining on so many levels because it was so bad. So everyone's complaining about, oh, this is terrible football. But yes, but. 
but can we all no, just I mean, laugh like, for a moment? Yeah. It was more entertaining. I mean, for it was more entertaining than watching Clemson boat race Notre Dame. Like that was like this game was way more fun than that. So, <laughs> um, it did become it did become a bit of a meme for futility, though I suppose you could say. Um, and that sort of un- that sort of un- unfortunate. I mean, I, that's probably a little bit unfortunate for like the the, the programs and the players that were involved. Uh, like year, years from now, people will talk. I mean, it may not become as famous as that. Um, the that Sun Bowl. Pit. Yeah, the, the the Pitt Oregon State Sun Bowl. But <laughs> <laughs> shouts to SB Nation, by the way, for writing basically a 17 page expose of the sun bowl the 2008 sun bowl uh that was 3-0 oregon state uh i, I think oregon state lost a bit too i don't think they even scored so no i um, think it was oregon state won and there's like there's just these great anecdotes of like dave wanstead and the entire pit staff like calling off a practice because they were just so hammered from the night before and like one of the coaches like puking st- like just awesome read it like <laughs> hey man el paso what are, what are you gonna do you know it's <laughs> well, you a, a party town <laughs> <laughs> uh all right let's move to the alamo bowl a game that was definitely way more watchable on another level and i think that's the level of play i, I just love the fact mike leach icing the game with a 20 yard pass um you know, with a few minutes left to burn right when the announcer gave this two minute pontification about how you can't run clock with the air raid. I just, it was perfect. I'm like, yes, you are my hero, Mike Leach. I want to give him a big hug. Uh, there was a lot of commentary, Rob, about the PAC 12 not being able to win bowl games. Which I think is kind of ridiculous. Yes, we went one, eight, one and eight last year, but I don't think that there's a chance that we go one and eight this year. I think there's going to be other uh, games that are going to be won by the PAC 12. So that, said it was nice to get one under the belt and um this iowa state team was a little bit sneaky yeah this iowa state team was good i mean i think people um i think people sort of underestimated this iowa state team because for the most part the big 12 wasn't wasn't great this year but they did have a couple of good teams uh iowa state being one of them and i really uh i like their defense i mean and I, i thought their defense had a good game um and it was really I mean, Gardner Minshew doesn't have a game that like lights up the stat sheet as far as, you know, you kind of expect from him. You expect him to throw for like 400 yards or something like that every game. But I mean, he was highly efficient against this very good Iowa State defense and they rarely ran the ball in this game. Um, You know, Minshew was actually had more rushes than anyone else on the team in this game. Um, I'm assuming that's counting a sack or two. but yeah, I mean, just a, a, a really great game, I think, from from Washington State. And but one that, I mean, you could almost argue, and then they got a little lucky. I mean, Purdy threw yeah. those two interceptions. Um, you know, their 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 defense was not great. I mean, they they only put up, I mean, a little over three hundred yards in the game, and Iowa State put up over 500 yeah Um, i I was surprised and rob i know that you're more down on the washington state defense that i've been in in the past and i was surprised that they would give up i think it was 515 yards it was 315 through the air and then 200 on the ground so iowa state like you mentioned was running a pretty balanced offense and doing it well but three turnovers two picks and a fumble and that's that's gonna do it in free sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but like i always i I don't know. Like anytime I watch the Washington State defense, I'm like, ah, they're pretty good. But uh, man, Iowa State just made them look dumb. <laughs> they, well, I mean, and Iowa State, they're, I mean, like, 
they were running. I mean, they were able to run the ball pretty effectively and then they were taking shots down the field, um, you know, with Purdy and I, they, Iowa State's a, Iowa State's a good team. Matt Campbell's a good coach. So this is this this in a, on its on its own. This was the game that I felt like outside of the Rose Bowl, the Pac-12 really needed a win. I mean, in the Rose Bowl, it's Washington can go out and and lose, and if they look good, that's fine. Um, doing it, just don't get boat raced. But this is a game that um, because of the disparity here, you know, like I think people tend to look at wins and losses. And so they see a 10 win Washington state team taking on an eight win, uh, Iowa state team. And a lot of people didn't have a lot of respect for the big 12 this year. So, um, this is a game that, you know, for sort of the national conversation, like the PAC 12 really had to have, because if Washington state had gone out and really laid an egg, uh, in this game, it would have, it would have looked bad that this, this would have hurt more than, uh, losing to Fresno State, which is a good team, and um, I mean the Cheez It Bowl is the Cheez It Bowl. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it, it can't be defined next to other bowls. <laughs> it is its own entity. It is a beautiful, beautiful monster. Um, let's move to let's preview the, the bowls here, and let's start with the Rose Bowl. I was going to go in order of uh, you know the order of the games, but whatever the, the Rose Bowl is, what everybody wants. Give the people what they want. Uh, Two p.m. <laughs> Uh, Tuesday, uh, the Rose Bowl, Ohio State is a five and a half point favorite. Now, this is a little while ago. I have to go back and check the lines a little bit because um, I'm sure that they have moved. But the last time I checked, Ohio State was a five and a half point favorite over Washington. I'm excited about this game, Rob. But the more that I looked at Ohio State's offense, I had initially picked Washington. I'm going to switch that to Ohio State. Um, but I'm curious to see what the numbers say. And then we'll kind of talk about some players to keep a look, uh, look out for and some keys to the game. Yeah, so this is definitely a game that the model likes Ohio State in this game. Um, Ohio State comes uh, comes in with roughly a 60% win probability in the game. Um, that's not overwhelming. Uh, it's not something where I think anyone should look at and say, like, oh, you know, like Washington has no shots. You know, they have a very, very good shot in this game. Um, what I would say for uh, this game, though, is, as you pointed out, like, Ohio State, and I, I saw two Ohio State games this season in person. I live in Columbus. I, I see a lot of Ohio State football. This is not a great Ohio State defense. This is a phenomenal Ohio State offense, um, and it's not going to snow in Pasadena. So, <laughs> um, like, the expect, like, the last time Washington took on an offense that rates this high was when they played Washington State, and Washington State basically got, like, the worst weather possible for what they like to do. Um, the weather should be pretty nice in Pasadena, uh, and so Washington's going to have to show up. And uh, they're going to have a, they're going to have a, a tall task ahead of them. Dwayne Haskins is likely going to be the top pick in the draft with uh, Justin Herbert deciding to stay. Um, so Ohio State's in in the model. They're only about a three point one point favorite. You know, like I said, like a sixty percent win probability. I mean, I'd still lean towards taking Washington, if only because like I I like. <clears throat> I watched Nebraska put up a bunch of points on this Ohio State defense. Like this, this isn't murderer's row um, on defense, and, and Washington's strength is their defense in this. You know, coming into this game, um, I don't. I still don't. I think it's an uphill battle a little bit for Washington to win the game, but um, they are they're definitely going to have their hands filled. And if Jake Browning has one of his Heisman moments, you know, and turns the ball over. Uh, you know, once or twice, you know, this could look, this could look even a little lopsided because Ohio state can put up points fast. And I don't, I mean, the only way to describe, I mean, cause 
people talked about the difference in talent between Clemson and Notre Dame, just recruiting, I mean, you know, in straight recruiting rankings, like, Oh, you know, Clemson has more guys that are going to play on Sunday than Notre Dame does. Um, I think, I don't know that on the, at the skill position, Washington has seen anyone this year and definitely not coherently, like maybe, maybe some dudes that play for Auburn, but no, they haven't seen any skill position players like Ohio state has this season and it'll be a challenge for them and we should see what they've got, you know, but, um, I, I, st- I like Ohio State to win it. I, I still like Washington to to cover. Okay, I don't. I, I just don't try. How many times have we taken Jake Browning and uh, with points oh, or whatever? Just, you never want it. Like I don't want. I thought like this is my last chance, and I'm like I'm like going away from my own rule of like not taking Jake Browning. I'm I may I may change my mind and <laughs> I reserve the right to change my mind because you're right. Jake Browning has torched me in the past. The one thing. And this is a big thing that Washington has going for it is the defense. I mean, this is a very, very good Washington defense. I think the last time I checked, Rob Baderank had him at sixth in the country. Yep. It's, I mean, it's yep. top 10. Um, and that's, I mean, it, it'll be a fun matchup. I don't think this is going to be one where Washington's going to get blown out, like blown out in any sense. I think no, it'll be a fun. No, unless they turn the ball over. Like the only shot this turns into a blowout is Washington just turning the ball over a bunch. Yeah, because Ohio State's defense, I think, is in the 60s uh, at beta rank. So this is, like you mentioned, 63, yeah. fairly pedestrian. Uh, a couple, well, let's talk about the offensive skill players here. So obviously, Dwayne Haskins, like you mentioned, uh, 4,500 yards, 70% completion. He averages nine yards a pass 47 touchdowns and eight interceptions there's a reason rob that you mentioned he's going to be the number one pick or likely the number one quarterback pick in the the nfl draft and it's because he is one of the most efficient quarterbacks period in the country um i'm i'm interested in their running game they have jk dobbins who is quite good he averages about 4.6 yards a carry but behind him they got a guy named mike weber that averages about five and a half uh, yards a carry both those guys have 800 plus yards jk dobbins has more than a thousand so it's a fairly balanced offense but the passing game is really where uh the money is at you have one two three four five uh, five dudes that have more than 640 yards uh, receiving this year you have two players paris campbell and jerry uh, McLaren who have 11 touchdowns this season this is a team that can move the ball I'm I'm love like I, I love these types of um like strength against strength uh it's just really really fun to see that it's not the weakness versus weakness or weakness versus strength that we've seen in some of these pass bowls um it'll be interesting to see if the uh, the pass rush a can put some pressure on um on Haskins. Haskins only has 17 sacks on the season, so uh, I would yeah. assume that it's going to be fairly difficult, and it's not like Ohio State hasn't seen mean, nasty uh, front lines across the board in the Big Ten. Uh, say what you will about the conference, but they oftentimes, <laughs> they bring him big uh, up there, so I think it'll be interesting to see if Washington State, or I'm sorry, Washington can push hard on that front. Um, and the secondary, too. I mean, like, Washington has a very excellent secondary, and there are some yeah. incredible wide receivers on this Ohio State team. Uh, flipping the, uh, to the other side, you know, you have a couple players on the defense. Uh, defensive end Chase Young, he's number two. Keep a lookout for him. He has 13 and a half sacks, uh, 13 and a half tackles for a loss, eight and a half sacks, five pass breakups, nine quarterback hurries, and a forced fumble. And DeMont Jones is a defensive tackle, 13 tackles for a loss, eight and a half sacks, two pass breakups, and five quarterback hurries, and an interception, a fat guy interception, man. It's going to be... So they got two guys (laughs) up on that line, and one of the things that has been a little bit shaky, I would 
I guess I, I use shaky. It's relative, but compared to the rest of the Washington team, that offensive line has been basically like the dog pod has said uh, at the beginning of the year and throughout the season, which is, yeah, they're experienced, but they're not elite. And they're going to have two guys that are going to keep their hands full. Yeah. No, and the, the, this, 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 this Ohio state team, if they have some trouble, it is that, and the guys that they have on defense were all really high recruits, highly rated recruits. But when you talk to evaluators around the big 10, um, the thing that people keep coming back to is like they're just not as athletic as you thought they'd be, um, and that can get them into trouble. Um, like they, 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 they often talk about Ohio State secondary not having like enough hip fluidity to stay with receivers when they make their cuts. It's all in the hips, um, all in the hips. It is. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but I just I don't know that Washington has the athletes. Um, to really exploit that effectively. Uh, and I think that that could kind of be a problem for Washington in this game. This, this Ohio State defense, I, uh, I mean, I'm, I, I watched Oregon State have a pretty good offensive day against them, actually. Um, I watched Nebraska have a very good offensive day against them in person. Like, this is, this is not a great defense, but um, – you just got to be careful because if you just you can't win a shootout with Ohio State. I mean, unless you're Purdue, and just you know you hit you hit all sevens on that day, but um, you're just not going to win a shootout with this team. Like they're they they are going to outscore you, um, so you're going to have to get some stops. Like you're so Washington's defense is going to have to be there and do it because this this offense uh, when when asked to put the you know put their foot down hard on the gas. Like there's, there's a lot more there than people think. And like that Michigan game is an excellent example. Like they gave up a ton of points to Michigan, um, but they still ended up beating them by like 20. I'm just curious to see how many points you think Washington is going to score on this defense and how many points do you think that they're going to need to win uh, in order to compensate for the defense and uh, Ohio state's offense. So I th- I mean, the lower the score, the greater the chance that Washington wins. Um, if Washington can hold Ohio State under 30, I think they've got a good shot to win the game. Um, and that's a big that's a big ask. Like Ohio State probably has to turn the ball over a couple times in that. Um, you think so? What, what about 35? <laughs> like, so that's a decent amount of points. And this is a really good Washington defense. I think 35 is doable. 30 and below is a little bit more of a stretch. I mean, Michigan's got a good defense, and Ohio State just torched those guys. Um, I just even like good defense, like as we saw in uh, it was the Cotton Bowl, the <laughs> no, the Orange Bowl, <laughs> Alabama versus Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. I mean, Oklahoma has a god awful defense, and Alabama basically got bored like after putting up twenty eight points on them. But it's hard to hold. Even Alabama has the number two defense in beta rank. It is hard to hold a very, very good offense down for four quarters. Um, and that's what uh, I mean. Oklahoma came into that game with the number one offense. Alabama had the number two defense. Um, Oklahoma was putting up some points. It's it's really hard to hold a good offense down. Um, I, I think so. If you say thirty five, do you think Washington puts up? Can win a game no. above thirty-five. So for Washington to win, I think they have to hold them under thirty, and I think Washington's magic number is like thirty-one or something like that. You know, like yeah. Um, if Ohio State gets above 
And it's quite like, I mean, even with a good defense, I would still say it's going to be hard to hold Ohio State under under 35 points. And if yeah. they get above 35, I think they win. Now I'm with you. I'm, I'm going to take Ohio State. I'm going to root for Washington, obviously. And I'm going to miss a lot of these defensive players um, like Gaines and Burke Kerbin and some of those, the guys in the, the secondary. I'm curious, like, if Tyler Rapp is uh, – See eligible yet? There's a couple guys in that secondary where I'm not certain if they're going to stick around or not, but I hope they do because <laughs> they're really good. Uh, and obviously, you're going to see uh, that coaching staff and Peterson bring in uh, just, I think, as long as he's there, they're going to develop talent and recruit talent. And that is awesome. So, very excited to see that going on. I'm going to miss this defensive side of the team. I want to see Washington turn the page on the Drake, uh, Jake Browning era. So, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> well, it's funny because, like, I think there are a lot of Washington fans have been saying that, like, this, this year, like, they were, they've sort of patted themselves on the back, like, oh, we won the Pac 12. And what was a rebuilding year? Like, this was not your rebuilding year. Like, you had a seniors all over this offense coming back. Like, next year, like, the offense is like a blank slate in some ways. So, um, you you want a lot of those defensive players coming back because next year Washington I mean and it could be addition by subtraction like I I think Jake Browning has been that middling at times (laughs) you could sub in another Jake and play better yeah yeah, and, and obviously Gaskin's gone, but I like Ahmed. I think he's really good. I do, so too. I do, there, too. There's some pieces, and then, of course, you, you have Ty Jones, uh, who I think will be quite good as a wide receiver and will develop over the years. Uh, but and, and to be fair, you had a major injury with Hunter Bryant, and you have seen an uptick in recruiting on the wide receiver front, which is certainly where the big deficiency was this year. So th- there are some pieces. They haven't had pieces. anybody good since that, the year they made the playoff, really. Like, they haven't – Browning without John Ross and um, oh, Dante John. Pettis. Like, just it's not the same. John Ross was so disgusting. Like, it was so yes. fun to watch him play. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's move on from the Rose Bowl. Let's go to the Holiday Bowl, Bowl 4 p.m. Fox Sports 1. We haven't recorded in like two weeks, so I'm getting all tongue-tied, Rob. It uh, <laughs> takes some time to get back. <laughs> oh, I'm like forgetting the players' names. And, like It's like, oh, like oh yeah, I, I do this whole other thing, football. <laughs> uh, 4 p.m. Fox Sports 1. Northwestern is a seven-point dog against Utah. Um, there's going to be a common theme, Rob, as we talk about the next three bowls, and that is bad offenses and good defenses on both sides. So I don't think anything could be as – I mean, the cheese it Bowl has set such a high standard on on what <laughs> these bowl games can be. But there is a little bit of cheese it Bowl in all of these games as we move forward, uh, potential, where you just have bad offenses that are going to be going head-to-head with very strong defenses. And that certainly is the case with Utah Northwestern. I should uh, I should clarify that obviously if Utah had its full offense, if Zach Moss was there, if he had Huntley uh, healthy, it'd be more of a different story. But you have a true freshman and a secondary running back, and I it's going to be difficult for Utah to score points against this Northwestern team, right, Rob? Yeah, I mean this this Utah offense has been falling down the ranks a little bit um, of late. That uh, the Pac-12 championship certainly didn't help their offensive ranking. Northwestern has a very good defense. They come in ranked at number twenty-two. Um, Pat Fitzgerald, former linebacker, um, you know he's he runs a pretty good defensive side of the ball as well. Uh, I I like this Northwestern. I don't like Northwestern to win this game. And Beta rank Utah's got a sixty-nine percent chance to win. They're roughly a six point four uh, point favorite. Um, 
that's close enough to the actual spread. I, I think I would, I would take Utah, um, in there. I, I think their special teams are, are also going to be a big aid in this game. Um, but it's, it's not going to be great. I mean, Utah's like right now, their offense currently ranks in at number 48. I'm not sure that they, it's, it's fully captured where Utah's offense is with injuries right now. Um, but you have to feel like the bowl practices and getting a lot of first team reps have helped. Um, Shelly and um, <laughs> I really have forgotten the backup running back's name. Oh no. Um, I guess is hurt. Uh, Armand shine. Yes. Shine. Uh, like it's got to help them um, getting the first team reps. So I, 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 I still like Utah in this game, uh, but this should, this should be a low scoring affair uh, for sure. Yeah, taking a look, one of the things that we forgot to mention in the Rose Bowl is injuries. So in that game, fortunately, there aren't any recent major injuries or players that have decided not to play that game. In the Utah Northwestern Bowl, obviously, we mentioned you had Zach Moss and Tyler Huntley, but also Britton Covey uh, is yeah. out, which is the top wide receiving uh, threat for Wash, uh, for Utah. He was a smaller guy, kind of that scat bug, water bug type of guy, um, but he was good and he can move and uh, and he just got real i mean he got laid out and uh i just hope that i hope that everything's fine on that front but he's going to be out so you have the the top wide receiver the top running back and the top quarterback out all for utah uh so when we talk about utah's offense not being great right now that's the reason why i think if they were yeah. all in the game so again want to preface that on the northwestern side you had and, and troy taylor is jamming out like they're they're on the market for an offensive coordinator for real Where's yeah, he took he took the head coaching job at Sacramento State. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Okay, well, congrats um, to him. Yeah, I mean, like you, there, that's been an interesting. Um, I, I feel like some Utah fans are a little frustrated that he's leaving, um, and I get that. Like you guys have had a bit of a revolving door at offensive coordinator, and I, and I do feel like when everyone was healthy, the offense was clicking a bit uh, for the youth. So, um, I'm interested to see if they go out and get. Man, Sacramento State, though, that's kind of. You would I think it's where he's from. I don't know. Like, I mean, but like, for a lot of guys, Whatever. like, I mean, I've I've been to Sacramento, like, and uh, you can keep it. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> uh, like uh, there, there's a, there's a riverboat, I guess. Um, but I, I I think he he wanted a shot. To, I mean, it's a shot to go run your own program and kind of maybe work your way back up, I guess. And I don't know. All right. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, I was he a former coach beforehand? Uh, you know, he, they got him from Eastern Washington, so he does have like he had been at the FCS level, um, and maybe he you know wants to coach at the FCS level again and work his way up from there. That's right, too. yeah, because we we thought that hire was really good, and it was <laughs> so good for them. Yeah, I still think I, I still think it, for you fans, like I mean, and it, there there have been some offensive coordinators that have been through that door that did not work out very well, but uh, I felt like this one did. Yeah, right on. Well, looking at uh, some more injuries on Northwestern side, you had Flynn Nagel is a, their number one wide receiver. He is listed as questionable, and one of their top linebackers nate hall is out of the game although he isn't a game changer um i'm just looking at northwestern's offense and like we mentioned it is bad uh the quarterback isn't terrible when it comes to passing yards 2900 yards but when you look at the dirty details 60 percent completion rate 15 touchdowns 14 interceptions 33 sacks that is those are all <laughs> bad bad numbers shame shame <laughs> no, and they're even worse at running the ball. I mean, like, so they're uh, they've come ranked out at number eighty-five 
uh, in beta rank overall. <clears throat> but they're they're number forty nine throwing the ball around, but they're one hundred running the ball. So um, it is it is all on throwing the football around, and it's a little bit of a mixed bag with that. Yeah, I'm. I was inclined to take Northwestern because the the spread seven. I do think Utah's going to win this game. Uh, until I started looking at their offensive production, I'm going like, how are they going to score points against this disgusting Utah defense? And I trust the Utah, you know, front line. I trust the running back, even though Armand Shine isn't uh, Zach Moss. I do think he can move the ball. I liked some of the stuff I saw in uh, in their new quarterback and. I don't know. I like you mentioned, the one thing on the rushing front for Northwestern is when you take a look at the average yards per carry, they're fairly efficient. There's none of their top four wide uh, running backs that average less than four and a half yards a carry. So, you know, it's not like they're and I would say like four and a half yards is probably average. I'm, I'm. I'd be curious to see what that number is. It might be four, but, um, so they're not terrible. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. Um, but on the defensive side, Rob, uh, what do the numbers say about Northwestern? Yeah, the, the defense, I mean, they have a very good defense. Like I said, ranked out at number 22 um, and they're good across the board. I mean, 33 in drive efficiency, 23 in play efficiency. They don't give up big plays. They grade out at number 26 there. They go, they force three and outs at a good clip, number 32 in negative drives. <clears throat> um, and they're pretty balanced. Number 24 against the run, number 30 against the pass. Um and this this Utah offense, like we just talked about, like the last game that Northwestern had was against Ohio State. Like this Utah offense is going to feel like playing checker. I mean, no offense to Utah, but like we'll feel like playing checkers against like after having to had to play Ohio State last time. Um, but I think this this defense, this Utah defense, is going to be like a punch in the mouth to this Northwestern offense. Um, it's a tough game for him. Yeah. I'm, I'm pulling for Utah obviously, and I'm going to take him to win and cover the spread. I just yeah, think that they're going to be too. able to put up enough points against, you know, they've seen good defenses this year and I think they've handled themselves fairly well. I understand that there are different players in this game than who played against Washington and stuff, but uh, yeah. yeah. So, so you're with me on that. Yeah, I'll, I'll take Utah. I, I I think that the the special teams advantage and <clears throat> Utah will likely have some short field to work with, and uh, they'll be able to put up enough points. To yeah. I w- I wish it were like seven. Of course, it's like seven and a half or something like that. Like where it's you know they got to get over like you know like and as low scoring as that this game is going to be. I mean that used, basically probably means like Utah by ten. Um, yeah, that's when you started going. Eh, but uh, I'll take them. Like it's beta ranks so close to that that spread number anyway. Like I'll, I'll take them. Yeah, we got them at seven, so I'll take mm-hmm. them there. Seven and a half. Yeah, I don't know about that. Seven, oh, seven. If we got them at seven, that's the number of audience. Like, give me Utah. <laughs> um, and I think that team's going to show up. I just think the Utah fan base, that Utah football program. Like, look. I uh, we listened to the Utah Man podcast. I understand how big of a deal it was for Utah to win the Pac-12 South. So uh, I don't think oftentimes in the Holiday Bowl, which I found in the past, is there's teams that get there and they're like, yeah, whatever. Like we're you know we we didn't win the Pac-12, we didn't go to the playoff and stuff. And traditionally, the Holiday Bowl is uh, the annual tradition of like the Big Twelve third tier 
play, you know, team just beating the crap out of a really good Pac-12 team because they're not excited to be there. Well, that's the Alamo Bowl now, right? Yeah, like yeah. That, that's a, <laughs> like they just sort of like switched who was going, but yeah, like there were some there were some uh, holiday bowls where like Nebraska just, I mean, I probably horse beat Arizona or something like that. But yeah, there's been some infamously bad holiday bowls. No, absolutely. Um, Let's go backwards here. 12 p.m. on Fox, the Red Box Bowl. Michigan State. Woo-hoo. Oh, yeah. I love Red Box. What do you think? It's a fine product. Uh, man, I, I I can't remember the last time I rented out of the box. Like, like <laughs> Google Play exists. Like, you can rent movies. I don't know. Never mind. But not I have for, like a, not for I have a dollar, like, Rob. Not for a dollar. Yeah, but, like, I don't have to leave my house. And, I like, I have Google Home, so I can just be like, Google, like, play this movie. I, 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 I see Red Box as... I walk into a 7-Eleven, which is like one of my favorite stores in America, <laughs> and there's nothing healthy or like, hey, they sell anything you I, ever wait, want. I want to know, how often do you walk into a 7-Eleven? Like, uh, that's less na- Less like, now because it's a little bit further away, but I would say like every three days, uh, I would take okay. a little wander Fair over enough. to the 7-Eleven. Fair enough. <laughs> um, and uh, without fail, there has been times, especially when I was in D.C., there was one really close to me. Um Hey Bryant, we're out of uh, cream cheese. Oh, I wonder if Seven Eleven has that. And the, any like you name the random object. Hey, what we need a yo-yo for our twin daughters. Oh, I bet you Seven Eleven. I got two yo-yos there. This place is great. Uh, so whenever I would go there, it would be right outside, and I frequented it often. I have the app on my phone, and the Red Box was always there. My faithful, wonderful friend. <laughs> So I could always get uh, whatever movie I wanted. Anyway, moving on, uh, Michigan State versus Oregon. This bowl is going to suck. Uh, Oregon is a two and a half point favorite. This bowl is going to suck. I'm I'm super bummed. Uh, Oregon had a decent year, um, but they're going to run up against one of the best defenses in the country. And that offense uh, over time. And shout out to Hippolyte <laughs> for kind of harping on this uh, over the course of the year. It, it, I don't think it has a. Um, a compass to it right now. It's just kind of, they, they just do what they want <laughs> rather than having a strong plan. And uh, I think that's going to bite them here in this game. And on the opposite side, Michigan state has a terrible uh, offense and they run up against an okay Oregon defense. And yeah. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about this game? Uh, I hate this game. <laughs> just, yeah. Like the, I say that, like I, I think, I mean, Michigan State's defense is legitimately very, very good. Yeah. Um, number three in beta rank, number two in drive efficiency. Um, you know, they contain explosive plays. Number five there. They force a lot of three and outs. Number six. They're number five against the rush, number five against the pass. I mean, this defense is is legitimately very, very, very good. And Oregon's offense is legitimately not. And it's not to say that they're terrible. They're nowhere near as bad as Michigan state's offense. Um, you know, they came in at number the Oregon's offense comes in at number 57. Um, but really like the only game that you can look back and say, like, I mean, was where Oregon's offense was really, really good. Against a good defense. I mean, how long ago was that Washington game? I mean, I didn't remember. <laughs> I, mean, like, <laughs> like, I mean, and in between, Oregon's offense has been horrendous at times. I mean, that game in, in, in Tucson was like Justin Herbert, like, couldn't read zone. Um, it was, I don't, I just, I'm not a, like, I, I think that they, 
there, there are some good things going for Oregon heading into this. Peyton Sewell should be back. That is a big gain for this offensive line. Um, he's a road grader that freshman that they had at left tackle. Um, but I just, I don't know. Like it's, it's tough. Like the beta rank actually likes Michigan state slightly in this game, giving them a, uh, uh, you know, 57% win probability. They're roughly like a 2.4% point favorite in the model. Um, I don't, I mean, given that I tend to, I tend to lean a little Michigan state, I guess this line has been moving more Michigan state, I think. Um, I mean, cause I think it started out at like 3.5 or maybe even higher. Uh, I, I, I like, I like this. This feels like a game where Michigan state shows up and suffocates Oregon's offense and, um, does just enough to win the, like scores a safety to win the game. (laughs) (laughs) The, the biggest problem here for me with Oregon and we'll talk about Michigan state's offense cause it's hot trash. Um, are the injuries or people that aren't playing. So Tony Brooks, James is out. I understand he's the third option at that running back, but he is, he is still like, a, you know, I think it's, it's worth noting. He's gotten some carries. Yeah. Like, it's not like they've, they've had like a total, a true feature back all season. The two guys that really do bum me out there are Jalen Jelks is out. Um, and Kalena Pelu is out also, who is their like second best linebacker on that team and yeah. those guys are quite good and we talk about the defense uh, those players were on that on that defense that you were talking about not being very good um and and they're gone now i i really want to take oregon but and then here's why michigan state's offense so you have brian Lewerke. So bad. oh it's terrible 1800 so yards 54 percent completion rate eight touchdowns 10 interceptions the one the one thing on his end is he hasn't been sacked a ton 16 now they've had another quarterback rocky lombardi who's been sacked uh, seven times so in total you have 23 sacks which isn't terrible um on that end so he's not going to take a, a ton of sacks unless really Oregon dials up the pressure um but looking at their run game too 1400 yards on the year uh Connor Haywood 520 yards he's their top rusher 520 averages 4.6 yards a carry everybody underneath him averages less than 3.5 yards a carry and have less than 250 yards uh this is not a good offense and that's what worries me is where you have a team that is so incompetent on one once again there's a cheese it bowl in all of these last three games um there is a scenario where neither of these teams can really move the football and i understand that oregon's defense isn't great but but i would argue that michigan state's offense is significantly worse than um northwestern's offense is that is that fair no no i mean they're 118 in the model these they're horrendous um and you look through the the season here you know when they've managed to, to squeak out some wins it's where they their offense has been given incredibly short field um, by their defense and special teams um, and has been able to put some points together. But I mean, even like they held Ohio state to 26 points, they only put up six, um, you know, they held Penn state to 21 or at 17 and a win. Um, you know, they, they have been able to hold down some pretty good offenses this season. Uh, the trouble is, as you said, is they're, their 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 offense is just unbelievably bad, um, and I I I was I, I will admit I was a little worried going into the um, and I had a I had actually I had Iowa State to cover I had Washington State to win, <laughs> but I had Iowa State to cover the spread in that game, and I 
because I teams with big splits worry me in bowl games because they're they're entirely reliant on one unit showing up. Um, and in this case, like I think defense travels, I think defense shows up to bowl games. Um, that worries me a little less, I suppose. But I mean, when you look at what Michigan State's problems are, it's pretty odd. Like they have a horrendous offensive line play. Um, they don't block well on run blocking. They don't protect the quarterback very well. Um, this is a team that just like it just fell apart on the offensive line. Um, but I mean, do you? Do you? I mean, how many points? I mean, you look at this Oregon offense. Like, how many points do you think they put up here? Like, just I mean, if they put up if they put up seventeen points, I think they win. Yeah, I think they will. I'm actually going to take Oregon. I and I've, it's funny. I flipped my pick on what I had initially put uh, like three times already. Uh, this, now that we've kind of flushed out the games, because I had initially had Michigan State, but the more and more I look at this offense, the more I am uh, queasy. And I just think I mean, that, I, mm-hmm. if Jim Levitt had put up a better year with this defense, like I'd be like, oh yeah, give Levitt, Jim Levitt time to repair. Like it could get ugly because normally that's what happens when Jim Levitt gets some time to repair. Um, <laughs> Oh, this defense is not great for Oregon. I, uh, I do want to point out a player. His name is uh, Kenny, I think it's Willikis or Wilkies. And so he's number 48, and he is a, def- a defensive end for Michigan State. He has 20 and a half tackles for a loss, eight and a half sacks, and 12 quarterback hurries. He will be in the <laughs> backfield like all game. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, he's really good. Um, and like if, if you just look him up, he's he kind of blows up everywhere on the Internet. And uh, there's a number of players on Michigan State that were in the either first team or second team, all Big Ten. So a couple other players to look out for is uh, Joe Baki. He is number 35. He has 94 tackles on the season, eight and a half tackles, five ta- uh, five pass breakups. And, uh, and they have a couple guys in the secondary that are quite good. So one of the questions that I had initially had was when – you're looking at Michigan State's defense. It's who is going to guard um, Dylan Mitchell. And that answer is, uh, I think his name is Justin Lay. He's a 6'3", 185 corner with 15 pass breakups and a pick. And he was first team all Big Ten. So that'll be a good match- matchup to and take people a People mostly at. threw away from him. Like, they did not. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and I, I love big corners, and you're going to need that against Mitchell. So, um I know I'm, I'm going to take Oregon. I just don't trust Michigan state's offense at all. And uh, who, who are you going to take? No, like I, I, I agree. Like, I don't like, I don't like big splits. Those worry me with teams. Um, like in, so uh, I, I'm going to take Oregon in this game. Okay. Okay. Uh, last it's game. almost a toss up. Like, it's not like I'm really going against the model. It's like 57% for Michigan state here, but I'll I, take Oregon. I, yeah. And I'd say like the one like thing that is a real bummer is that if you would have flipped Michigan State with Pitt, um, and, and oh, yeah. Pitt's going to play Stanford, like this would be a much more fun game because Pitt has an okay defense but a good offense, and it's just a better game. And instead, you have just like two um, two steamrollers that are four miles away driving slowly towards each other. That's what this game is going to be. And it's going to be, uh, the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You really want, like, I would actually enjoy watching Stanford's wide receivers. Like Stanford's game is a little bit different than anyone else's right now in college football in a lot of ways. So like, I'd like to see like a good, a really, really good defense show up and try to knock them off. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of Stanford Monday, 
which is today, uh, Stanford versus Pitt. The Sun Bowl, 11 a.m. on CBS. Stanford is a seven-point favorite over Pitt. Uh, I don't know. Like, oh, oh, I should I should start uh, before I throw it to you, Rob. No Alamein Murphy, no Bryce Love, no Nate Herbig, no Caden Smith, no Casey Tuhill, no Dylan Jackson, and no Mustafa Branch. That's a lot of Stanford players that are not playing in this game. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's not good. Um, no, so uh, ACC runner-up Pitt. Um, I mean, let's not cut ourselves. Notre Dame was the real ACC runner-up. But um, Stanford comes in. They come in ranked number 25 overall in the model, number 30 on offense, 54 on defense. Pitt is a reasonably close mirror image to that with worse special teams. Um, so they come in number 35 on offense, 39 overall. Um, number 55 on defense. This is a pretty good pit offense. Uh, not great, but pretty good. And like you said, like a, a reasonably good defense at like 55. Um, you know, the big difference between the two teams is Stanford has very, very good special teams and Pitt just doesn't. Um, that's a little, but that is a ton of yeah. players not oh, yeah. playing. The one thing I mean, like, I don't care. Like Bryce Love could miss this entire like Bryce Love's missed this entire season. So, eh, but that is true. But like Cameron Scarlett is not good. There's going to be. I I know there was no run game really anyway, but Love still had 750 yards this year or something like Scarlett is is not good. You will have a one dimensional (laughs) Stanford offense uh, playing the one dimension that David Shaw is uncomfortable with using, which right. is the forward pass. Uh, and that will be very bad. Um, now, without that, this defense is a lot better against the pass, actually, than they are against the run. Yeah, they're number 25, according to, according to Bader. It was funny. I was looking at um, I was looking opposite at the numbers. So I was like, oh. 110th in the country against the pass and that was their that was their passing offense not their passing defense yeah, yeah Pitt, Pitt's practically like Georgia Tech I mean they're not they're not running the option but they're a much better rushing team than a passing team yeah and taking a look at their offense so Kenny Pickett is their quarterback 1800 yards 60% completion rate he only averages seven and a half yards per pass so he's not chucking it deep uh 12 touchdowns, six interceptions, and 31 sacks. So he's taking a lot of sacks. Oof. The big, I mean, I'm burying the lead here, but the two guys you need to look out for are, are uh, Quadri, uh, Quadri Olison, who is their top running back, but by like not a lot. <laughs> he and Darren Hall um, are running backs on Pitt's offense that both have more than a thousand yards. They're both averaging more than 6.3 yards per carry. And Darren Hall is averaging seven and a half yards per carry. (laughs) Like this is a fun matchup because Stanford's run defense is 30th in the country. So it's strength on strength on both of these fronts. And that's pretty exciting. Yeah, this should, this should be a fun game. Um, actually, like I, 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 even with all those losses, I think Stanford's recruited well enough. I think that they, they win this game and what is the what is the spread here we've Seven. got ooh yeah well oh, oh. okay yeah it's it dropped down to like, four and a half though and that's kind of exciting but let's let's do seven because we were using seven yeah oh i don't like so i don't like stanford for seven <laughs> <laughs> i don't like stanford for two usually like it's like good lord shaw well, david david shaw is fine winning by like a half a point if that were possible like we've We've all watched David Shaw just like decide what the right number of points he needs to win the game is, and then just leave it there. Yeah. Yep. Um, I so the model gives Stanford a sixty-six percent win probability. 
Um, the model doesn't know that all those players aren't playing. Um, and it's got roughly a, that, that's roughly a 5.1 point spread for Stanford. Um, I don't know. It's funny. Like all these, like it's like if you've been watching the bulls and I certainly hope you have, cause it's college football's winding down the season, like beyond the playoff, man, there's just been a lot of blowouts. Like it's not just that there've been a, an insane number of upsets where like the team, it's not just that the team didn't cover the spread. Like they got beat <laughs> by the underdog. Um, they're like, a lot of these games haven't been close. I mean, even more than like army Houston, um, and like all these games are, have fairly close lines. I mean, the, the exception of maybe that, that Utah game, um, you know, like, I don't know. I just, but I don't, I don't, I, I don't like Stanford seven points better than Pitt. I don't like, I don't think David Shaw cares if he wins by seven. I think he's fine winning by three. Oh, absolutely. I'm with you. I'm going to take Pitt. I think Stanford wins the game. Yeah. And they, they win it by a field goal or two points or one yeah. point or like whatever. And, and you're going to tear your hair out every, for like the last one and a half quarters because they're going to run the ball up the middle with Cameron Scarlett and he's going to get two yards. You're like, Oh my gosh, like, he's going to make it closer than it should be. But, um, Hey, give me uh, give me pit. Let's, let's talk about what the news fairy dropped, which was <laughs> the fact that the pack 12 for sale. Y'all you want some pack 12? You're going to buy yeah. shares, Rob. You, uh, you have, do you have what they, what did they value it at? They think they can raise $500 million. So they are offering a $500 million stake in the PAC 12, which would be 10% of the company, which puts their valuation of the company at $5 billion. But we can't pay players, Rob. God forbid that that would happen. We have a $5 billion entity out right. there that we can't pay anybody for uh, CTE for taking CTE hits to their head. I don't. Okay, so I have I have a couple questions. So we should back up first. I, I'll describe a little bit of it and then fill, fill in the holes as you wish. So basically, Larry Scott has decided to put 10% of the company up for sale. They are basically putting all of the Pac-12 network uh, revenue generation under one umbrella. So they're making this new umbrella company. I forget what it's called, like Pac Pac Now or Pac New or something like that. Um, yeah, Nuco, and it is, but it's. It's kind of like it's all that, and it's like merchandising too. Like everything that everything that your, the universities make money on, basically. Yeah, I have some questions about that. <laughs> the, um, and I smell ticket sales and like stuff like that. But yeah. Well, and I smell toast right now. I'm either having a stroke because this is so ridiculous, or uh, my wife's making toast in the, in the house. <laughs> uh, so we'll find out. <laughs> um, so, so a couple items uh, to mention before we talk into this. So. Basically, in addition to the five billion dollars that the that Larry Scott thinks the Pac-12 network is worth, uh, this projects a couple things. The first is a thirty-six million dollars in direct revenue from Direct TV starting in twenty twenty, which is not guaranteed, as we all know. Uh, a one-time ESPN payment in twenty twenty-four of three hundred forty-seven million dollars, which is not guaranteed, and it's assuming that the Fox. Uh, deal is going to be renewed for 10 years, uh, which would be worth more than $2 billion, which is not guaranteed either. And, uh, am I missing any major details on that? No, those are, those are the interesting details. <laughs> okay. Question. I have so many questions about this, Rob. Question number one, I I'm trying to give the PAC 12, the benefit of the doubt, which I admittedly, they do not deserve, <laughs> but I'm at least trying to like figure out what, in what world this would be a good idea. Um, 
So why would you offer private equity shares rather than partner with uh, the major networks? So what the difference here is that um, if you look at the ownership structure of the other networks, 50% of those networks is owned by ESPN or Fox. Um, and so here, like, even though they're also throwing in like merchandising, that kind of thing, like the major moneymaker here is the media rights. And so here, instead of the PAC 12 basically owning, they do get some percentage back of, I mean, I think if you broke it out, like the, the tier one rights, which are like the big games, right? Like the, the chance to come in and pick a game of the week type game. Um, those are generally sold out outright by the conference and the conference takes in that money. Um, then there's usually some tier two, uh, as well. Um, some of those tier two games end up on your own network. Some of them are sold out. Um, and then there's like tier three and tier three is like, you know, Oregon State, Arizona on a Friday night on the Pac-12 network, um, that those games like, so it's not, it's not just as easy to say like, oh, it's like, oh, you know, ESPN owns 50% of the new ACC network. So, you know, the Pac-12 would have an advantage here because they would only be selling 10%. Like of their total media rights, ESPN basically gets maybe a cut of, I mean, let's call it, let's call it 20% or something like that of, of the ACC's media rights because ESPN owns half of that network. Um, it might be more. So the argument here is that you you are selling off like less of your total media rights than you would if you partnered did a full partnership for the network. Right? That, that has to be the argument here. <laughs> like, um, and in theory, because you, well, you have the partnership on the networks and then you have to sort of like, I mean, that's, a tr- that's a true full partnership. And like, you have to, they, the, the big 10 and the ACC have mostly outsourced running the networks to the professionals at Fox and ESPN. Um, you don't get to call the shots with your network. Um, you know, Fox is there and <laughs> ESPN is there to tell you very often how things are going to go. Cause it's a partnership and they are the folks that are experienced running television networks. Um, here, like, because you would still own 90% overall, like, um, your private equity partner has a lot less say in what's going on. Um, and has a very, has no particularly like, big say in how the network goes. Um, but that's not always how, I mean, when you take somebody's money, you also take their opinions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question two, is it wise to, uh, value your company and project what your revenues will be for media contracts that have not been, uh, that have not been, uh, Oh yeah. Negotiated yet. That's not crazy. I mean, like if you have, for the Pac-12, this projection, um, I mean, I'll give you an example like the when the, the Dodgers were sold uh, this last time around um, and they were sold to a private equity group. Um, the big thing that drove the Dodgers valuation was the upcoming uh, the fact that they were going to launch their own TV network. Um, and they hadn't negotiated any of the deals with that yet. It was just a, a projection like we're going to launch this TV, TV network and we're going to start printing our own money the way the Yankees do. Um, so for, it's not crazy to do that. And a lot of businesses will do that. I just, I find that it's sort of, 
it's a sunny projection for the Pac-12 for like 2020 with DirecTV. It could be, and I'd have to go back and <clears throat> look, and you know, John Wilner probably knows this off the top of his head, um, some of the carriage deals that the Pac-12 has negotiated would sort of make it difficult for them, and we've covered this um, previously, make it difficult for them and DirecTV to come to a, a decent uh, number that they can agree on. Some of those other deals may expire around that time and it may make it easier for them to do a deal with direct TV. But if that's not the case, like it's hard to see anything moving because nothing has moved on this direct TV deal over years. And I think any investor coming in, if they're going to come in and say like, Oh, you're projecting this direct TV is going to get signed. Like that one's less, but the Pac-12 is making very sunny projections um, off of the money that, based off of the money that the other conferences that have gone back out and re-signed Tier One deals with Fox and ESPN recently, that their Tier One rights uh, will bring in huge money in 2024 when they're available again. Okay, i I kind of assumed that the reason that they were uh, not going to try to partner with uh, you know, ESPN or Fox is because they would be ceding a lot of the control, which has been Larry Scott's like one, you know, ace in the hole. I, we still own our media rights. We own our media rights. We're going to China, but we own our, our media rights. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and that to some extent makes a, enough sense. Now, look, I, I graduated from Arizona business school, but that was a long time ago. So and like, I don't really know what the terms are and how much money, the other conferences are making, it seems like this was panned really poorly uh, over the course of today. And I think, I think the news broke yesterday and I understand that like, you know, basically anytime Larry Scott does something, people are going to basically kick at him because he deserves it. But if you're not selling a ton of your network and you do need the cash for the short term and you think that your long-term gains are going to be bigger, what is the big drawback to actually doing this? I understand that you're giving up some of the equity, but it's not like he's giving the farm away uh, yet. <laughs> well, so the, I, the the drawback, if you're going to argue that the drawback is the drawback is, is that you don't you just get money with this, and that's fine. Like it's, ju- I mean, you're <laughs> you need money. <laughs> you're you know you're versus the Big Ten um, right now and the SEC. It's um, and soon to be the ACC. It's almost ten million dollars a year. Your schools are bringing in less than other you know Power Five conferences. Um, the, the the difference here is that this private equity money isn't going to come with anything. Like you don't get you know like yeah when the ACC goes out to negotiate with carriage with direct tv they have the weight of espn behind them to get into more houses and get more people you know get more people paying um into the acc's coffers um here you're just you're just going out and getting cash that's all this is like you're selling off equity as a way to raise short-term cash and that is in theory going to tide you over um until you're able to go out and um you're able to go out and renegotiate your tier one contract rights and like get closer to what the other conferences are bringing in. Um, there's no guarantee. I guess you could say like, there's no guarantee that your the PAC 12 network is ever going to kind of figure it out. Um, and I would argue it's just that it's, it's likely not going to um, <clears throat> as far as, getting into more households, signing better carriage deals. I mean, the Pac-12 network is just, it doesn't look like the kind of moneymaker in the long run that others are. 
And you're also, I mean, you're giving up 10% of your ownership of your media rights here, um, basically, I mean, for good, right? Like, I mean, you could come back and buy them back. It's going to cost you probably more than $500 million if you get that valuation um, to buy it back later. And you, you, buy, you take people's money, like people, <laughs> if you own 10% of a company, like you care yeah. what's going on. I mean, like Larry Scott may think he can just he can um, write this like so favorably that he doesn't have to listen to these people. Um, these people will have more say in whoever they are, assuming. I mean, unless like I'm assuming it's going to be if they're selling it private equity, maybe they raise it across a consortium. But those people are probably going to talk like those people are going to have more say than any university president about what's going on with the media rights. Yeah. Um, and they're not, I mean, like Larry Scott likes to run his gold plated yacht, <laughs> but private equity. I've, I, you know, I've, I've, I've never worked at a place that's been bought out by private equity. Um, I know some people that have, I know some people that work in private equity. I used to work in finance in New York. Um, it's not, it's, they, they, they care what your costs are. Like they're going to come in and they're going to look for an accounting and they're going to say, dude, why does this cost so much? Dude, why does this cost so much? And the stuff where the university presidents have thus far mostly given Larry Scott a pass. Um, he's not going to get that pass from private equity. Like private equity, like usually comes in and, and, and forces you to make hard decisions. Um, now that's usually where private equity comes in and scoops somebody up. That's like, you know, teetering and may, you know, but you're going to, private equity is going to come in. They're going to want to know a lot. I mean, like a lot of what's going on, they're going to expect to have a bit of a say in what's going on. Um, you know, you're taking on a long-term partner and you're also giving up, like if the whole shtick of this, that they've been like, everybody's been saying is like, Oh, they'll own like the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is the PAC 12 comes into 2024 owns all of its media rights and is in such a good position. Well, we're not. I mean, like, if that if that's not the best, if that if if it's not worth holding out for for a hundred percent, then like, what have we been doing? <laughs> like, um, this just this feels desperate. Like, it just it, it. I don't know. It's I would I would be more impressed at this point if Larry Scott had was willing to sell off fifty percent of the Pac-12 network or something like that because. You're, you at least like these these private like you're not going to get private equity is not going to get you more pressure on direct TV. You're just getting money. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing on my end is that it is an admission of failure over the last X amount of years because we have not been in a position where this money is coming into these Pac-12 schools. And so now we have to, we, I say we, I wish I had all this money. This would be great. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd love to have $4.5 million to suck at something. It'd be great. Uh, but the... It's an admission that the Pac-12 has not been able to uh, keep up with the rest of the, uh, the rest of the conferences. I, I think that for me that was the biggest. Oh, okay. Well, uh, at least you admit it, but it, it is going to hurt in the long run if, like you mentioned, Rob, you know, if it's worth holding out for six more years or whatever, then uh, then maybe I don't know. It, it, I was just surprised just, by it. Yeah, it just annoys me because there's no like nothing about this partnership continues to make you money. This is a one-off sale. Yeah. Right. Like this is this is a one off sale. You get one off cash. Um, you don't get 
you don't get ESPN as your buddy to go in and help you negotiate in the future. And I'm not going to say that I think that like a la carte is in the future. ESPN has started to offer some of their own products a la carte, you know, like I don't, I don't necessarily know that that's always going to be the case. I don't, however, think that I don't think that ESPN's going away. <laughs> I don't think that Fox is going away. Like, um, and I think that some of the very rosy projections that people have made about um, new media fully displacing old media, um, I just don't think that's necessarily the case, particularly for sports um, in this, you know, so like if you, I, I just, I don't like that it's just a cash grab. I like, I would, if you were going to sell 10% of the overall, like sell it to ESPN, like take the take the $500 million, have ESPN as your part, like actual partner in it. You still get the 500 million, but at least like ESPN now cares whether your network's getting carried. <laughs> the, uh, I guess the last thing to talk about would be, uh, not Bryce Alford, Steve Alford might be out <laughs> or, at UCLA. Gotta be soon, right? He lost to Liberty, lost to Ohio state, lost to Cincinnati, got cracked by Cincinnati. We want to talk about that? Or should, should be... basketball is horrendous. I mean, horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I was pissed. I was pissed that like so. Dick Vitale tweeted out something today, and he said in all caps, like as he always says, like, "Oh, if everybody says East Coast bias, Pac-12 loses the Liberty, baby." Or you know, like, what do you say? What do you say now? And it drove me nuts because, like, of all people, Dick Vitale should know that. The college football and and more so the college basketball landscape changes every year, right? And like the big frustration over the course of time is that because we don't have a partner like ESPN, the ESPN really doesn't care about Pac-12 basketball very much. And the games are on late, and you have people like Gary Parish that cover this for a living say, "Ah, oh, the game's too late. I didn't even watch it." <laughs> like you get paid how much right. to watch college basketball? Um, and I understand like he's a Family Guy and all that stuff, but at some point, you know, maybe you record it and then not say I didn't watch it. Um, so you have all these problems and stuff, and so nobody's covering the conference. Conference is trash this year. I understand that, uh, but it is. It was kind of that really teed me off today, where you have somebody that just does not spend any time to actually care about the big picture. Like Dick Vitale has the biggest tunnel vision of anybody I can think of that covers sports. Like it, it is, it is quite baffling. Uh, so I was really, really pissed about that. But with all that said, I totally agree with you. The Pac-12 was really bad this year. We might be a two-bid league, maybe. Uh, and we had oh, some- we, are, we are looking like a one-bid league. I mean... How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Bol- Bulbul's going to just make a make a run, Rob. He's going to be awesome. <laughs> no. where, where, where is Oregon going to get these non-conference wins that uh, impress anyone? Like, <laughs> Well, I think, I think what will happen is I think ASU's in. Uh, I understand. They just that they, lost their uh, Well, I, I understand that. But if you look at their resume, like they have be a the Pac-12 is going to suck. So th- they will likely either win the Pac-12 or finish in like the top two. And I understand that they got boat raced by Vandy, but they followed it up by beating Kansas. And I understand they lost to Princeton, but I think they're just going to roll in the Pac-12. I think that's one. And then maybe you have somebody that just has enough wins, like period, to make it. Or you have somebody win the Pac-12 uh, tournament. Uh, I, I just think that ASU has has enough non-conference wins now. And the conference is going to be so weak sauce that they're going to be able to at least get, you know, even if they get a 10 seed, if they really drop the ball <laughs> in, in conference play. So ASU can't win the conference tournament. <laughs> And then 
Probably, probably, right? I think the the so, next someone best, else wins the conference tournament, right? The next best uh, team. Well, we're going to talk about more basketball stuff as the season <laughs> progresses, but um, I would argue the next best team is Oregon, and I love me the Dana Altman, um, but it'll be interesting to see if he can. Uh, make that run. I actually trust him to do that. Like he, he's one of the best coaches in the country. And I'm, I wasn't a big fan of bowl bowl. Cause like bowl, bowl was supposed to go to Arizona. And I was just going looking, going like, all right, like a seven, six guy that shoots threes. Great. <laughs> like, okay, whatever. He's one of those players where college doesn't quite know what to do with him. And when he goes to the NBA, he'll have a position, but, uh, I don't know if that's the case right now. Um, yeah, hopefully yeah. Alfred's out. That'd be great. I think I think they need I think UCLA the conference is better when UCLA is good and um, it's really fun watching UCLA Washington when Lorenzo Romar had that program going or UCLA Arizona or uh, UCLA Oregon like those games are fun when UCLA is good and uh, Alfred just does not know what to do with five star players like it's very clear he doesn't know what to do at all but uh, (laughs) but certainly with five star players I don't think he's I, I don't think he's a great X's and O coach um and you just, you can't have somebody just running running a program like UCLA into the ground. Um, they've got a. I mean, there, there's talk that he's yeah, you know, like you said. I mean, it, this could be a mid year move. Um, I'd be I'd be surprised. I mean, mid year moves though, like in college sports, like that's like you really have to you really have to. And he's really screwed up, so I could see it. Um, but it's just it's tough because like you don't want to end up in a position where somebody comes in and does a good enough job in the job in a really bad Pac-12 where it looks good that like you get pressure to hire that person. Um, you know, like like the the name that's kind of been kicked around is maybe like Kevin O'Neill. Oh, no. <laughs> get get out of my face. I'm wondering if, if that's like a one year and Kevin O'Neill right. did not do enough. Like no, I, no, I, no I, mean, I know, but like the Pac-12 is so bad, and UCLA does have some talent. No, no, that, I like, think every Pac-12 team could, has been down to Kevin O'Neill. You could win fifteen O'Neal. games. You could win fifteen games in this god awful conference. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's no one in the Pac-12 who doesn't have a bad, bad loss on their resume. Um, and that, like, you, you don't want to set yourself up for that. That's what I, I guess I look at as I'm like, eh, because you don't get any click. And if you have an interim, it doesn't get you. If you're UCLA, I guess you can say, like, yeah, we're UCLA. We'll sign some four stars, whatever. And, like, you know, get us a good coach and move on. But um, it doesn't get you any closer to, like, fixing, like, and figuring out recruiting. Like, you're better off, like, hiring somebody. I don't know. I'd let Alford, I would let Alford just stink it up and, uh, fire him at the end of the year yeah i don't know it'd be interesting to see like i don't think even if kevin o'neill ran the pac-12 and won the tournament and went like 20 and 0 or 19 and 0 or whatever they end up doing uh i still don't think ucla hires oh no i don't think kevin o'neill would win that job but like i mean like let's say they hand the job off to someone more likable than kevin o'neill um <laughs> so basically anyone in the pack <laughs> anyone like i mean literally anyone like you they could bring back like rick neuheisel and say like hey like rick neuheisel he plays guitar he used to coach football what the hell why not um like they like that's a, like because you don't you don't want to end up in a situation where like you're like oh, so many so many teams may end up in this like they've got some interim coach in there 
and he does well enough. And then you end up like stuck with a guy like the, like the bills, like I, I always for the football, it's like the bill Stewart example at West Virginia, like bill Stewart coached that West Virginia team and they waxed, was it Clemson? I mean, they waxed somebody in a bowl game after Rich Rod went to Michigan and like, there's all this like groundswell support from players like, Oh, we should, you know, bill Stewart should be the head coach. And then he ended up being the head coach and he sucked. Like, don't do that. Like, go do a real search. <laughs> they beat Clemson. I think that's what it was. And they dropped like a 60 burger on him. I remember oh, yeah, that they, game. Like, <laughs> murdered him. I mean, the one time I will say um, that it really worked out was like Davo Sweeney at Clemson. Like, he was the interim when they fired Tommy Bowden. Um, and boy, did that work out. Oh, my. But, I didn't know he was the interim. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah he was the interim. Um and he like a lot of people I think thought he was kind of a star on that staff, but yeah, he was the interim for there, and like that really worked out. But like more often than not, like you end up being like, oh man, like we should have done an actual coaching search. <laughs> well, Clay Helton's worked out, and uh, the guy down at LSU's <laughs> yeah. worked out. It's a, the Dude, are great. Cliff King, like Brett McMurphy, like just reported out that like <clears throat> Cliff K- Kingsbury just turned down a huge offer to go to Houston and be the head coach. That's a, yeah, it might be, it might be kind I mean, of like, chickens before they hatch. crazy like that would have been if Kings, like the centerpiece of Clay Helton's coaching staff rebuild, like jams after like a month on the job. That would have been awesome though. That would have been a fun job for him. Houston, like that's a program where he can recruit. Oh, like they've already had an air raid. Rush it. Yeah. <laughs> right on, man. Oh. Well, well, let, let's hang it up. We got, we got an hour and 15 minutes in and we even talked a little bit of college basketball. Uh, stay tuned. We will review these bowl games. We'll do some uh, review stuff of Pac-12 football and then we'll begrudgingly get into basketball season this year, but uh, it'll be fun <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> I mean, like the Pac-12 tournament, like isn't the, Mount- the Mountain West tournament's going on at like the same time. So the Pac-12 tournament blows, like we can cut over. <laughs> can watch Wyoming, uh, San Diego <laughs> State. <laughs> hey, uh, why not? Like, I mean, it's just right across town. Like the, is the, what's the other one? The, the WCC tournaments like the weekend before in Vegas, I think. So yeah, can't, but- go seek it. can't go see Gonzaga. And like the WCC has a winning record against the Pac-12, like <laughs> right now, like 10 and eight or something like that. It's ridiculous. Or I, 10 and six. I want to say there are three tournaments that go on. I know the WCC is the week before, but I think there's a third <laughs> conference that nobody ever, rem- like the big sky or some random conference. Oh, yeah. Like Mon- Montana three. versus like Eastern Washington. Or something yeah. Like yeah. That. I think that's in Vegas. It's crazy. Cause there's all these shirt, like everybody's wearing a colored shirt of like, whatever school they were it's awesome it's very fun (laughs) right on okay well thanks for coming on rob we will uh we will catch you next week we'll start recording weekly again and uh that's all i got enjoy the games